Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Agosto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane, wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Joshua Martinez to the show. Josh has been a professional producer and filmmaker for over 15 years. Based out of Los Angeles, Josh has produced commercials, music videos, still shoots, short films, and movie promos all around the world. He's worked with Elton John, Paul McCartney, Kelly Clarkson, Gatorade, Google, Beats by Dre, and Verizon, just to name a handful. And he's also done promos for shows like Atlanta and movies like A Simple Favor and Neighbors. I was introduced to Josh through my friend and recent guest on the podcast, Eric Bloom, because he said Josh has a very interesting story to tell regarding religion. I am thrilled to have him here and delighted to admit that I have absolutely no idea what's coming. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hey, Nick. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Oh, man. It's, as I referenced and intimated, I don't know what's coming. You and I chatted a little <laughs> bit as we got to know each other for the first time just before I pressed record on this thing. And not to set you up too much, but I really appreciate you being here. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, well, it's popcorn worthy. So here we go. Oh, man. I can't wait. I wish I had the confidence <laughs> to eat popcorn on my podcast. <laughs> Your guests would probably appreciate it if we don't, though. Yeah, that's right. By looking at your resume, did you meet Eric on uh, Neighbors, or had you met Eric Bloom uh, somewhere else along the way? I did. We met in production. We worked together on a movie promo for Neighbors. We did a bunch together. But yeah, I, I don't know if you've actually worked with him before, but he is the most breath of fresh air person I have ever worked with. His first words when he gets on set, because he has such a good perspective of what we do and how not seriously we should take it. He'll just say to everybody, he's like, we are not curing cancer here. We are not saving the world. We are just here to have fun and have a great time and great day. And then just from that moment forward, it's just good vibes and mm. awesomeness and just like the most pleasant experience. Well, I definitely, that's how I met Eric when he, back when he was making these things at Comedy Central. And then I was promoting a movie I was in way back in the day called Fired Up. He really is a special energy and I'm glad to meet you through him. Well, Josh... One of the first and most important questions of this show is, what did you have for breakfast? I had leftovers, Roscoe's chicken and waffles. Oh, wow. What an epic leftover. <laughs> I mean, how much did you leave? I mean, I know that they have big portions, but how much did you leave yourself? I had a feast. I had no idea today. It was coincidentally National Chicken Wing Day. So apparently oh, I was embracing a holiday I didn't even know existed. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. It all lined up. Living the dream. So did you actually have waffles? Did you choose the waffles? I did not. See, this is a common thing. You don't have to choose the waffles. Yeah, I do love the waffles. Sure. This time the trio of chicken wings and their mashed potatoes with gravy. It was delicious. I'm happy for you. That's great. <laughs> All right, Josh, let's do this. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Man, oh man. Yeah, so I've never talked about any of this stuff publicly before. So just before I answer that, just know the things I'm about to say. I am not intentionally trying to drag my mom through the mud or say she's a horrible person or make anyone too bummed out. I lived to tell the tale. I'm okay now. And it all happened so long ago that when I tell it, it's almost like I'm telling a story uh, of something that happened to someone else. So just know that ahead of time. 
that is a, an amazing disclaimer. I just want you to know I've not quite had a disclaimer like that yet. So I appreciate <laughs> the setup here. Before we go on, is your mother still alive? She is. She is. Okay. Yes. All right. Please yeah. tell me then. So I was introduced to God by her. One of my first memories is being baptized in the bathtub. She was not only a preacher, she did faith healings and performed exorcisms. Wow. And it was, yeah, not the most normal childhood, to say the least. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'll take Eric warned you about that. I did not know a thing. I meant it when I said <laughs> I don't know what it is. But yeah. all right. Your mother is the preacher. She is, yes. Wow. All right. So you are <laughs> baptized by your mother in your own bathtub. Multiple times. But yes, that was that was one of many. Multiple baptisms? Yeah, because when you want to rededicate your life to God, that was like her birthday cake way of doing it, I suppose. Wow. But yeah. Josh, there's going to be a lot here to ask about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then... You want me to start? Let's start at the beginning. I know no other way. What are your earliest memories? They are definitely mostly faith-based memories of even being in her church and seeing her performing faith healings and speaking in tongues and just very extreme things. So she was non-denominational and she's a preacher. And when I went to other churches besides her own, they were always mega churches. Like I would go to Benny Hinn rallies or there was a guy who was famous at the time, Kenneth Hagan, another faith healer, John Osteen, Kenneth Copeland. You might've heard of him. He was all over the news trying to cure coronavirus on the air. Oh yeah. Right. That guy? Yeah. Blowing on the audience. Wow. First thing. You were going those places. Yeah. <laughs> Your mother was taking you to those places. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. All the time. That was what I was raised in. That was my normal. I was the same guy who was on the air and telling people that God told him he needed a new jumbo jet and that he needed his disciples to give him more money to do so because God was calling him for that. And so wow. that was kind of the world I was raised in. And that was very, very much my normal. And I didn't know anything else. What part of the country are you in? Oklahoma. That's where I was born. But it's hard to even answer that question just because I moved so often. We moved sometimes as soon as every three months, sometimes six months. Average was maybe a year. The longest I ever lived anywhere was two years. And the reason why is because she believed, uh, I don't know how well you know the Bible or how deeply you go into this stuff on past podcasts, but she basically believed she was Joseph the dreamer in like, the modern day version. Wow. She took her dreams literally. And every time she got a dream from God, it was not just her subconscious thoughts or just you have too much food at 11 p.m. and you have a crazy dream. No, they, in her mind, it was all the Lord speaking to her directly and telling her prophetically what to do next. So my dad was still with us at the time and she would tell him and this lady that lived with us who was like my nanny and her main disciple, I guess you could say, she would just tell us all like, okay, God spoke again. We got to move. We're packing up and within two weeks or a month, sometimes even less than that, my dad would quit his job and find a new one 
he was a salesman for appliances. He was definitely miserable. He didn't ask that, but just side note. Uh, but yeah. he did it because he loved me and didn't want to lose me and was trying to be supportive and go along with things because my mom is very convincing and cunning and smart. And she believes everything she says so much so that you almost can't help but believe it too. And if you're young and you're a child, you don't know any better. She's just so convincing. And you're like, yeah, God is speaking to you. Let's do this. And it just made every day kind of feel like an adventure. And so my dad, he was compliant and he quit his job and we'd find a new one and then we'd move. And that happened so often that finally, by the time I was seven, I couldn't even be in regular school anymore just because I kept getting uprooted so often that she finally had to homeschool me. So then I got 24-7 mom, which is kind of what a lot of kids are getting right now since everybody kind of has to be homeschooled. But that was sort of my normal and my bubble. And I didn't really know anyone that wasn't a Christian or didn't think like me or act like me or wasn't in this strange bubble that I lived in at the time. There is a lot here already, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of things. Do you have any siblings that are traveling with you in this family? Well, there's my brother. He's my half-brother. He's same mom. So he thankfully, he's one of the few people that kind of gets me and it all because he he dealt with it too. But no, he's 16 years older than me. So okay. when I was two, he he was off to college. It was basically only child time. And he didn't have the same childhood I did. She was still pretty level-headed at that time. She found faith, but she wasn't an extremist in the beginning. There were definitely signs and it was going that direction, but he had a relatively normal childhood. It really wasn't until I came along that she shifted into this newer version. And I think it was because he, in her mind, acted out a lot in high school with like partying or getting caught drinking or this and that, which, you know, she saw as the ultimate failure. But I think that's why she was so boa constrictor strict with me and protective during my childhood versus his. Is your father alive today? He is. Yeah. Yeah. We're very, very close. He's one of the best people I know. Wonderful. And was he someone she met in her ministry? They met at church, not her church. And she, I want to be careful saying this because I'm really not trying to disparage her, but it's the only way I can think to describe it. But she almost has this cult leader like charm where you want to follow her Mm. and believe her because she, like I said earlier, just believes everything she feels so sincerely. And I think my dad was drawn to that. And she has this dynamic energy about her and presence that you see why she's a public speaker. I'm sure he was, he was very drawn to that. And then I think it was very normal and healthy for the first handful of years. And they never planned on on having me. My mom was older when that marriage happened, and they thought three different times during the pregnancy that I was miscarried. Hmm. But I guess I just hung on and climbed back in, and here I am. Wow, I like the phrase climb back in. That is so <laughs> visceral. And also, I can only imagine that that might have added to a sense of your your birth and your life as being through the lens of God because of how difficult it was or how much it was seen as a surprise? Were you often, was that part of your story growing up? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because even when the third time the doctors told her that she miscarried me, she said, no, 
I didn't, all is well, you're wrong. And I'm having this baby. I think the fact that it turned out to be true, I think it just sort of, I never thought about that before. But yeah, it probably validated her faith more than than ever and just probably fueled that fire for her. Yeah, I can only imagine if, if that's where her head was at. I could only imagine that that was an enormous sign. Sure. Wow. It's a lot, man. Yeah. I told you. I've already, <laughs> I mean, I say wow a lot in my shows, Josh, but I mean, I've already dropped yeah. like seven wows. This is going to be, this is going to be wow heavy. It's not a normal getting to know you story. Like when I'm <laughs> dating, I usually just say, yeah, I was raised in Texas. And so what does your mom do? And I, I just keep things so vague. So I'm like, yeah, most people are not ready for this. Well, this is actually, that's, I'm glad you said that because you said you were born in Oklahoma and then you moved a lot, but it sounds like what you did was you moved throughout Texas a lot because you're down by some of these mega church Texas televangelists and just massive speakers. I mean, you're talking about John Osteen, who's the father of Joel Osteen, who is still very much carrying on that mantle today. So this is, this is all that early stuff. Is that what you're saying is you were mostly staying in Texas in the South or did you venture off into other parts of the country? It was all over, but Texas was a major part of it. But wow, I'm impressed. You really know your preacher Avengers list. Yeah. Well, I don't. mean, you know, it's it's part of the world I'm in now, but also I know a little bit, you know, I know a little bit, but thanks. Glad it tickled you there. But yeah, mostly, mostly Texas. So it started Oklahoma, then Wisconsin, and then even as a kid, all over California, San Diego, Burbank, Anaheim, all over there. And then yeah, multiple places in Texas. Am I right to assume that you maybe start getting a different perspective about the way to look at your mother through the eyes of your father since you're only home all the time with your mom? Right. It, do you start to sense early, probably before you're aware enough or mature enough to be able to put it together, but do you start to sense that your father has a different opinion about these types of rules and burdens that the family is under? Is that how you start to see, is that your first window into the life where you would start to have a more clarity about what your mother's profession is? Right. It probably wasn't until much later. I think I was really, really blinded to all of it for a very long time. But when you're a kid, I mean, you're smarter than people realize you are and you're more aware than people realize you are. And I could see he wasn't happy and I could see it wasn't the best or healthiest marriage. And you know, you can just feel it on someone, whether they're happy or not. Yeah. And I could tell he was pretty heavily weighed down. And they had separate bedrooms for a while. Wow. And yeah, there was definitely a coldness there. But he did it for me. And that's that's why he, he dealt with it. Because she has this alpha personality. And when she wants something, it's just going to happen. And it's like this bulldozer mentality. And I don't mean that harshly. I mean, it sounds harsh. Also, I will say, though, that she truly did mean well. And like every negative sounding thing I've said, I know in her heart, she believed she was doing what was best for all of us. And she really thought she was just someone following God's will and doing her best. So that's sort of why I don't look back with as much anger as I think a lot of other people might in the situation, especially with what happens later that I'll get into. Wow. Well, that's a wonderful place to hang it up for the first segment. And <laughs> we'll be back in a couple of minutes to continue this extraordinary story. All right. See you in a little bit.
times like this, it is necessary that we ask ourselves what is worth talking about, what is worth listening to, and what we each can do to make the world around us better in our own small way. Discussions revolving around a person's beliefs and perspectives on God are something I personally can speak to, and my intention is to create a space where our deepest feelings about God and life can be expressed, heard, and better understood. That is one of the motivations behind God and Other Delicacies, and it is my humble hope that it contributes to the positive side of the cultural ledger. It is my intention to continue to create opportunities here for the presentation of those ideas that are different than mine, so that I can listen to them, come to understand them better, and hopefully discover ways in which I and each of us can participate in fostering communities that are ultimately more fair and loving for all. All right, everybody, we're back with Josh. And some of the things I want to hear more about are what are these impressions you're taking out of your youth? I mean, she's exercising people. She's doing faith healings. I want to hear more about what that is exactly and what that means. You referenced off mic with me a little bit about what your punishments looked like. So please, if you don't mind, dive in and take us through there. Yeah, that sort of craziness was my normal. As far as the faith healing goes, it would be people who are blind, people who are paralyzed, people who have cancer. Mm. It would be people who have tried and exhausted every other thing medically. So they would go to someone like my mom for healing and she would, you know, lay hands on them and pray and rebuke whatever evil spirits were ailing them and the devil and would try to heal people. And I, I would be there while that was happening and people would cry and fall to the ground and shake and speak in tongues. And it was very, very intense. And I didn't personally see the aftermath of it, but I mean, she claims, I remember, I haven't thought about this in forever. She showed me these glasses from somebody that were basically Coke bottle thick glasses. And she said, yeah, this person used to wear these and now they have perfect vision. And there was someone she claims that uh, had one leg shorter than the other. And she laid hands on them and it grew (laughs) supposedly on the spot. I don't make fun of stuff I don't understand. So even me talking about it, I realize how insane it sounds. So that's why I'm sort of reacting that way. But just because I don't understand it doesn't mean I'm trying to invalidate it or uh, discriminate against someone who does believe those things. I mean, did you ever feel like you saw a change? It sounds like you watched a lot of these things, but you were not entirely convinced. At the time, I was. Yeah, at the time, I absolutely was. And I would go to people like Benny Hinn, and you see thousands of people when he would wave his jacket. And like a wave, everyone would fall as their jacket would pass by them. And I would be there. I would be one of those people falling and they call it being drunk in the spirit. And I'm not mocking any of this. It was just uh, what I dealt with all the time. I mean, what was your childhood brain saying to you now as you look back on it? Why did you fall? I felt something. What that something is, I can't define. And I mean, I'm trying to approach something emotionally, logically, but I don't know if it's the mob mentality or Mm. you want to fit in with everybody or you just get caught up almost in the same way you do with a concert 
with like this wave of emotion that is just like tangible. Sure. But when you're a kid, I mean, you believe whatever your parents tell you because they're your template and you don't know any different, especially if you're homeschooled, especially if you're sheltered, you go along with it. Okay, Josh. Well, you mentioned that she performed a faith healing on you. What needed to be healed on you? Yeah. So I was born almost legally blind in my right eye. And it was really tough as a kid because it was also extremely lazy on top of that. So talk about being a shy, sheltered, introverted kid. You got a lazy eye on top of that. Yeah, it was it was tough. But I didn't know this at the time. But I'll skip ahead for a second only because it does segue to what I'm about to say. Sure. But I didn't know until I was an adult when I finally had an eye exam and the doctor looked really disturbed and he said, why didn't you wear a patch when you were a kid for two weeks? Because you would have 20-20 vision right now. If you did, your eye would be perfect. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, yeah, why didn't they do that? Any eye doctor ever would be able to tell you that. And I had that confirmed by multiple other doctors. And yeah, come to find out the one side effect of having a faith healer mom is she uh, she wants to show off what God can do and just let her son be a miracle. So she meant well in her mind, but she did not allow me to wear a patch or to do that. She, yeah, tried to heal me and wanted Dr. God to do it and not <laughs> doctor, doctor. So this is still something you deal with today. You have vision difficulties in that eye. Yeah, I do. It's uh, legally blind and the muscle has atrophied. So yeah, I have 2300 something vision, but luckily I have peripheral vision. Luckily I can still relatively see out of it. But yeah, I mean, it's something that, that affects me to this day. That is really heartbreaking and really powerful to hear that i am genuinely emotionally affected by it it sounds i'm not trying to bum you no, out no 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 man look it's this is not bumming me out believe me <laughs> i love this show you know <laughs> yeah i just think what i want to say is is that i can only imagine the resentment involved in discovering something like that And I understand that you are trying to be fair and that a big part of your healing process has been trying to understand things from her perspective as best you can. And I understand that you're, it's clear that you're telling the story to me now. You're, you know, you're, you've come to peace with these things as best I imagine as you can. Yeah. And there's a lot more story to tell here, but I just want to let you know that that's pretty powerful. Okay. So she tries to perform faith healings on you as a young child. Yeah. Is that basically the end of that? I mean, is that the story to tell is that she tried to perform faith healings and then ultimately what she did is she should have just taken you to the fucking doctor? Is that what you're saying? That's pretty accurate. Yeah. But she. It wasn't just her. She brought me to all the top God specialists in the country and wanted them to heal me. And I'm really not trying to turn this into a therapy session. I'm just telling you facts. Uh, yeah, I mean, and she... I keep like defending, but she, uh, yeah, I mean, she just would tell me that I just didn't have enough faith and I needed to believe more. And so I put so much pressure on myself to. Oh man, that is harsh. Whoa. (laughs) 
I like Barbara Walters neck. Getting me all <laughs> getting me all emotional. Hey man, you got me emotional. You know, it's <laughs> um some pretty that's pretty it's pretty um it's pretty it's selfish, you know. It's selfish. Yeah. I, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. You know, everybody, I think in life has things happen to them. And I think it's how, one second. Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying that everybody has things happen to them. And I think it's all in how you react to it. Yeah. So, man, I do not cry. So you're you're an impressive dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hey but man, it's all it's all how you react to it. I mean, I think you can let things that happen to you make you really bitter and really angry and really hateful, or you can let it better you. Because I think so many people get paralyzed by the bad shit that happens to them. And I I don't know. I mean, I'm a little <laughs> emotional right now just talking about it because. I'm going to talk about this stuff a lot, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I've just tried to not let it affect me too much and just stay, you know, positive and focused and that's all you can do. Yeah, man. I mean, it's inspiring as a listener. I think it's one of the things that I think is really something that draws me to this show is that, um, I need help in my life at forgiveness and I need help in my life at acceptance and uh, I'm not fucking above any of this. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I just honestly connecting with other people about the way life works helps me understand how universal, how universal and how unique on one level, right? Your story is unique, but it is also not uncommon to deal with, crazy things. And so I just, look, you got a life to live, man. And you got, yeah, you got things to give. And so you figured it out. Yeah. I mean, my, my mantra really is, I think you can let the things that happen to you make you better or bitter. And life's just too short to be bitter. It really is. Yeah. So I try not to carry that because it's just not worth it because it just ends up hurting you and not the other person. So there's no, there's no sense in it. Well, Okay. So where do we go from here, man? <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty intense. Yeah. You obviously don't know how intense that is until much, much later. You're living with all this really, this pressure. You talked about it, you know? Yeah. You're living with a lot of pressure. This faith pressure, this I'm not good enough. I don't love God enough. Right. Right. What and is the next stage of this? I mean, do you do you go to high? Do you even go to high school? No. What happened before that, though, is sort of where where things get get big, and then sure. I sort of start getting a window into uh, maybe this person I look up to might not be well. Mm. So all of what I described happened was was pretty young, and it went on till much later as well with the faith issues in my eye, et cetera. But yeah, the things that sort of started to unravel it all in my head was when I was 
nine years old. We moved to Anaheim, California. So my mom could start a ministry up again. My dad, he quit his job again. We uh, moved there. It was probably the first time in my life I had stability. We ended up being there for almost two years. I finally made friends in the neighborhood. I started coming out of my shell and getting more adjusted. And I could see the fireworks at Disney every night. And we would mm. go there all the time. And and yeah, even though it was like a strip childhood, I was kind of the only stuff I was allowed to watch was Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, TGIF back in the day. It was it was still really restricted, but it was a really, really happy time. It all kind of changed though when one day my mom had her dream again and God spoke to her and she takes me aside. I'm 11 years old. I don't even know what sex is, but she tells me that, Josh, I had a dream about your dad and your dad is cheating on me with all these other women. And he's a sex addict because she found some Playboys in his trunk. And she believed it wholeheartedly and said that we have to leave him and you can't say anything, but this is what we have to do. And your dad's a really, really bad man. Wow. And it kind of shattered me because I loved my dad and I was very close with him. And it just didn't resonate even then as that could be true. Even as an 11 year old, I'm like, I know him. And keep in mind, my dad is five foot six the sweetest, like most lovely little dude that is so unassuming. (laughs) Yeah, it did not compute, but I believed her. I'm like, okay, God told you because that's just, I thought my mom, you know, had a direct channel to the big dude. So I, I went along with it and she then proceeds to tell him that we have to move to Texas and you need to quit your job. And God told us we need to start there. She doesn't tell him that she's going to leave him. She sets it all up. And so we do. We moved to Texas. And my dad happened so fast, he didn't even have time to do his usual two weeks notice, get a new gig, start right away, which I learned later is what she did on purpose and plan. So we get there. We start over. I know we're leaving him. I knew when I saw him, uh, it might be the last time I see him. And he was ambushed. He quit his job. He drove all the way across country to be with us. Turned out he must have had a fake address or something for us. And she wouldn't give him the real one. And he calls on a payphone because it's the 90s and cell phones weren't a thing. And it's around Christmas time. And he's got a car full of gifts for me and is really excited to be reunited. And then that's when she ambushes him and said, you're not going to see him again. And you're a bad person. And God told me and you're cut off from his life. And that started a really crazy next chapter. I am short (laughs) of breath. (laughs) I warned you. Not a normal getting to know you story. That's for sure. I wish it was. Okay, Josh, this is um, a good place to stop. And we'll follow what this next segment is when we return from the break. God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. 
Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners, and it means a lot to me because I read them, and it's nice to read nice things. All right, everybody, we're back with Josh. We leave off with Josh's father. He's come to the new city they're in to bring presents to Josh on Christmas. Okay, Josh, what happens next? Yeah, so she then tells him to wait there and that she'll bring me and that, you know, he'll get a chance to say Merry Christmas and all of that stuff. He's waiting at a payphone? Yeah, at a hotel or something like that. Okay. And so we waited there for hours. She shows up without me and gets the gifts from him. And that's when she says that you don't love me, you don't deserve me. And you need to leave and go back to New Mexico, which is where he's from. And you're not going to see him again. And so she takes the gifts from him and tail between his legs and not knowing what to do. He then does move back to New Mexico and he had to completely start over. He had to work with his brother as a janitor at a country club. And keep in mind, this is a, guy who's had pretty decent sales jobs his whole life and is been able to support a family in his early 50s, late 40s. And I can't imagine how humbling that would have had to be for him. But he he did. And he he worked his ass off and he got his real estate license and he got some money again. And his only mission was to see me again. And so gosh, where do I go from here? <laughs> wow, man. So her delusions become more extreme. She starts having these dreams now where she is convinced that my dad is, I wish I was making this up, but she believes that he's going to send assassins to come and get us. And so we start moving more than ever. And then she has dreams that my dad is a secret millionaire, even though he was really just working as a janitor and struggling to start over. God tells her he's a millionaire. So now she starts suing him for these invisible millions of dollars that he doesn't have. And she becomes convinced that her life is a John Grisham novel, and that she's living this amazing legal thriller of a life. And that was the first time I saw my dad again. It was about a year later. She sets it up for his birthday. We're at his birthday dinner. And she waits until she puts a little, it's very, it's very fucking cruel, but she puts a birthday hat on him. And I didn't even know this was coming, but she then waits for the wait staff to sing happy birthday. And that was when she timed and cued the process server to come in and serve my dad papers before he could even blow out his birthday cake. And that was, uh, that was the first time seeing him again. He was so excited and immediately heartbroken when he realized what was happening. Wow. That's, that is some wicked stuff, man. Yeah. It's pretty twisted. And yeah. And then, so she just proceeds to sue the shit out of him for money he doesn't have. And she, would travel to New Mexico and use my nanny as her spy and have her dress up in a wig while they're in court together. And she would go pretend to be interested in listings at his real estate office while taking secret disposable camera photos and rummaging through the dumpster and the trash as evidence as if listings meant that he's a secret millionaire. 
And she convinced her that, yeah, if you do this, God told me you're going to be a millionaire too. Just help me. And she was basically funding her sick mind to keep doing this. And then, of course, the case would get dismissed because it was based in nothing. And then she became convinced because God told her like, oh, my dad paid off these attorneys. My dad must have done this or the judge was paid off. Like I've seen the firm. I've seen the Pelican brief. That's what people do. And that's what my dad does. And he's just that slick. So then we would move again and then she would sue him again and the whole cycle would start. And meanwhile, the whole time, my dad is just all he cares about is seeing me again. He's still giving her money. He's still trying to support. He's still just trying to defuse the situation. And he was trying so hard that he set up child therapist to see me because he knew I was being brainwashed and manipulated and not knowing the truth. And my mom is so cunning that with all six of the different child psychologists, she would groom me. She would rehearse me. She would tell me exactly what to say and tell me if I didn't, that I wouldn't be with her anymore and that this is what I have to do or my life would be over, basically. And I did it. And I believed her wholeheartedly. And I believed it so much that her words became my words. And I went along with it for years. I believed it for years. But then it started to get really bad because it wouldn't just us be moving more because she thought assassins were after us. I wish I was making this up, Nick. I mean, <laughs> he's still I, there. Are you okay? I, oh, man, I am. <laughs> I wouldn't even be able to eat the popcorn if it was sitting next to me. That's how yeah. enthralled, stunned, <laughs> jaw dropping the story is. Uh, continue, it's please. Some- it's some lifetime movie shit for sure. It's but, beyond lifetime, but go on. Yes. Yeah. It happened to me. So that's even weirder. But yeah. yeah. So the worst was, and even then it was sort of when I was casting doubts. I don't remember how old I was. I might've been 14, 15, but she then became convinced that there was an actual bomb in our house <laughs> and we had to leave. She woke me up in the middle of the night. We went to a hotel And instead of calling the cops and doing what you would do if you actually think a bomb is in your house, because I think she's even smart enough to know that it was absurd, she proceeded then all night to call our landline to make the bomb blow up safely without anyone there. (laughs) And I truly believed that most of my life was an action movie and I was living inside of one. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how you follow up a question after after that, but I'm curious. <laughs> to <see. laughs> I mean, how long does this go on? A long time. It went on from 11 years old until I was 19, almost 20. And I believed it all. I am now in high school. I still homeschooled. I did right. one year of regular high school and I was just so not well-adjusted and shy and socially awkward and not even knowing how to connect with people because I was basically like, yeah, I just didn't even know how to be. Oh, and I can only imagine your mother's questions about what you're doing there and, you know, what did you, I mean, I'm sure she was. Oh, she would listen in on phone calls and I'd try to just be a normal kid or talk about American Pie or talk to a girl who's like, you're never going to see her again. I'm cutting this off. And it was, it was, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. But it was also a time where I, was in youth group 
in Texas. And I got pretty close with everyone there. I became an intern in my church. I went to church three days a week. Bible studies, I would lead praise and worship. I was all in. I had even the Jonas Brother promise ring. I, I, I lived and breathed that whole Jesus camp world. And uh, my dad probably spent almost $100,000, I would say, in legal fees, just dealing with her and her persistent lawsuits and her unwavering tenacity. The whole time she's being funded by her nanny to some extent. Yes. Yeah. This poor sweet lady who she cleans houses and scales windows and she's like the sweetest person and a little bit heavier set and not in the best shape and just breathing in chemicals all day and doing that 14 hours a day to help fund my mom's pipe dream that she bought hook, line and sinker. And if you hadn't met me first and you were talking to my mom and you heard it from her perspective, you would probably believe her, even though you're a really smart, grounded person. And it's why even with the legal cases, they would last a lot longer than they should because they were convinced by all of her fabricated web of evidence and conspiracies. Yeah, so it wasn't... So I'm still in this youth group. It's high school. Um, I'm almost done. And... I decide that I want to go to, by choice, the most religious college in the country, Oral Roberts University, where, ironically, there's no oral being had. You, uh, <laughs> you're caught drinking, smoking, having <laughs> sex, and you are just straight up expelled. You, they don't even want you to date there unless you prayed about it to Jesus and you can see yourself marrying that person before you've gone on a first date. You don't go to chapel. Whoa. It's a $50 fine every time. And I wanted to go here. <laughs> it sounded awesome to me. Because from the perspective of the child that wants to go there, that is the holiest place you can be. It's like the Harvard of Christian universities. I don't know if that's really true, but I mean, it's definitely up there. Certainly one of the most extreme. But before I moved there, I decided for the first time ever to be the forgiving Christian that she raised me to be. And it was summer before I decided to go to Oral Roberts uh, that I was going to meet and really spend time with my dad for the first time. And I was going to actually go and see his millionaire, lavish mansion lifestyle and get to know the man behind the monster. You didn't tell your mother? I think I told her. I think I was honest with her about it. She's like, just be careful and his lies and his deception. And she just warned me a lot and kept saying she had these dreams that I was going to be deceived and advising me against going. But I was 19 now and I couldn't really be controlled anymore. And so I said, no, I want to, I want to do this. And so I visit him. There's no mansion. There's no army of girls. There's him and a really small house taking care of his sick and old mom. And just like this shell of a person that I used to know, but he was just so overjoyed to see me and to finally uh, connect again because it had been nine years. <clears throat> I'm good. <laughs> One hey, second. Man. No, it's all good. Yeah, it was uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was really powerful. It was great to finally uh, 
opened my mind, but it was also shattering in a way because it was the first time I realized like, oh my God, everything that I thought was true is a fucking lie Mm. and it's not real. And, you know, it's like, damn, the whole last nine years, like everything you believed and then telling me that he's going to die in a plane crash and taking out a life insurance policy on him. And if you go, you're going to die in a plane crash and just all this stuff. I'm like, man, you stole so much from me, Mm. especially this amazing person. But he is such a, damn it. I was going to be so composed and cool during this interview. (laughs) It's not, not a good look. It's a totally good (laughs) look, man. It's, it's honest. It is. But uh, no, I mean, he just said, because he's still a man of faith too. So he kind of gave me a flip side of what that extremism is. And he said, all the stuff your mom may have said, I prayed about it too. And I felt a peace that one day you were going to come to your senses and you were going to meet me and you were going to see what was real and what was true. And you wouldn't be blind anymore. It's kind of ironic after talking about the whole literal blind thing. Um, That might have been true, but I was no longer actually blind. And it was the best decision I ever made. It changed my life. Wow. When you see your father. Yeah. You're 19. How many days did you intend to see him? It's been so long. I I believe I did intend to spend a couple of weeks with him before going to college. And you still continued. You still went to Oral Roberts. I did. I was still not completely disillusioned by it all. Like I still had really, really strong faith because it was all I knew. But yeah, I went there and I just saw so many things that I'm like, this is not the love of God, the compassion of God. This is not loving your neighbors. You love yourself and being there for prostitutes and thieves and no judgment. It was just a place of pure judgment. And there were just things I, I knew because my eyes were finally starting to be open that I'm like this, if there is a God, this isn't him. I mean, I remember, I mean, as an example of just some of the things that did kind of disillusion me, there was a couple engaged to be married on the praise and worship team, on the leadership team. She got pregnant. People who love each other, that happens. Uh, They were expelled. There was a kid because, you know, they believe if you're gay, it's a sin. There was a kid who was struggling with that. And he's like, I want to change. I want help. And he goes to them and asks for that. And they expelled him. And just grounding children for going out. They would have narcs at bars ready to rat you out if you went and get you in trouble. And all these rules and regulations and curfews. And I'm like, this is not God. And this is not okay. And I need to get the hell out of here. And my dad, who was very loving and supportive and just so happy to have me back in his life, when I came to him and told him like, I want to move to LA. I want to go to a real film school. I want to be around real people. I can't live in this bubble anymore. He supported me 
And he said, then, then do it. And it was before, right before the 2008 market crash. And he was starting to become actually successful in real estate. And he paid for my college and went all out for me and supported my dream and encouraged me to, uh, to take the leap. And luckily, there was somebody else there at the school who was just as miserable there as I was. And I said, what do you say? Like, let's just escape and, and, and move to LA, man. And then, and then we did. It was the best, best decision I ever made. Okay. That's very cool. I have one more question about going back to that moment with your dad. Sure. Clearly something, a light goes on. A light of clarity yeah. goes on when you see your father, you see your grandmother, you know? Yeah. Who you don't even know, right? Correct. And the type of love you're feeling there must have been of a totally different quality. Completely. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just pure and light and uh, not toxicity. So when you feel that, right, what do you bring home to your mother? I mean, you, you can't possibly have the stones at that time in your life to tell her what really went down. I mean, do you have to sort of feed her what she wants to hear for a while? No, I absolutely told her wow. what I thought and felt. And I, I mean, I was almost confrontational about it. I said, but it was more of a plea, like, please, everything you think, like you, you think this, but no, 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 this is who he really is. And like, I tried telling her everything and like, no, he has a secret house. He has a secret wow. girlfriend. He has this, he has that no matter what I said, there was just no getting through. And she continued, keep in mind, I'm a 19 year old adult and she's still pursuing him for child support for millions of dollars in back pay. And wow. it was just sad to me. And uh, I just wanted to rationalize with it. But the only lesson I learned from it is you can't rationalize with an irrational person. Right. You can try. It's why I don't really get into social media discourses because there's no nuance. There's no listening or hearing the other person. It's just someone who dogmatically believes what they believe, isn't willing to compromise, and is not willing for a second to put their ego or pride aside. And that's and that's her. That's 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 who she is, unfortunately. Okay, man. So do you come back over the summers of Oral Roberts? I mean, how long were you at Oral Roberts? How many years? I made it two years there. So you, so you, there's a summer where you go back and what, live with your mom? She actually moved to be close to me and was in the same town <laughs> as, oh, geez, as man. Perfectly normal, right? Your, your mom didn't do that for you in, in college, Nick? Josh, <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah, it was unhealthy. It was very unhealthy. That is, to say, to say the least. Yeah, but luckily... I got out and I thought for myself for the first time and even proved to myself people can change. You don't have to be this extremist. And I mean, I, I did. I lost my faith for the longest time. I didn't, I threw the baby out with the bathwater and I wanted nothing to do with religion. It was the last thing I was interested in. Right. But I always kept my morality and my focus. And I was always around a lot of very self-destructive people, either in my family. And when you're raised in the church, you get to meet a lot of preacher kids. 
And I would see how they would downward spiral, especially when scandals would break out about their mom or dad and things would happen and just drugs and just getting down a really dark path. And I, I just really, really determined not to screw up what I wanted to do. Cause I've, I've wanted my job since I was five years old and I never did have a plan B. And I just decided, I'm like, I'm not going to let anything or anyone get in the way with that. And I'm not going to self-sabotage or destruct. So even when I took off the Jonas Brothers promise ring for the first time or started like drinking or trying weed for the first time or whatever, I never did it extremely or went off the deep end and got all Hollywood or anything. I still managed to stay pretty, pretty grounded, thankfully, under the circumstances, which I credit my dad to a lot. Yeah. So you come out to LA with this yeah. friend of yours. Yeah. I imagine you're still close today if you came from a place like that, right? I was the best man at his wedding. Ah, beautiful. He's got two little kiddos now. Yeah. You're still really close to your dad, clearly. You already mentioned that, but obviously the Chuck bond has... Yeah. What happened with your mom? It's kind of funny. I hadn't talked to her in two years. Same with my brother. And I get the argument. It's family. You need to love your family unconditionally. It's blood is thicker than water. But I don't think it means what I'm about to say that you have to be full of hate or resentment or spite. But I think some people, even if you happen to be related to them, can be just so bad for you and mm -hmm. so toxic and ugly that as hard as it can be, even if it's the person who brought you into the world, all they do is make you feel miserable and bring you down and still like trying to actively hurt the person you love, which is my dad. It's just not a good fit for me. And we've tried to incorporate her into our lives, like my brother as well. And I hope he's comfortable with me sharing the story, but it was just, it's hard to have her around. My brother will leave the room and she'll try to cast demons out and get sinner's prayer out of her while she's going to the bathroom or trying to do that to my niece. And it's just, boundaries she doesn't have them it's hard to cut off people that you are close to but if it's only gonna be to the detriment of your soul to have them around then i, I don't feel anyone should should have that or deserves that i don't know if you agree but that's sort of my perspective on it. oh i i everything you're saying makes perfect sense to me i mean i don't have an experience like this in my life i <laughs> I don't, do. I don't think many people do. Um, yeah. yeah. So I called her this week. You called her this week. Yeah. I, uh, didn't think I was going to do it, but was it in, in anticipation of this show? I would say 10% yes. Okay. So dating 2020 during a pandemic, not the greatest time to meet someone, but, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but there's this new girl I started dating one of the kindest, coolest people I've ever met. And I have a very unusual story, as you're hearing. But when you meet and connect with someone that's been through what you've been through, there really is such a connection that only people who've been through stuff like that know. And she had a pretty equally, if not more so, crazy story. Wow. Um, and she is just so full of love and light and positivity, even though all she's known is is darkness and kind of inspire each other. And she told me about her own, sorry, I'm getting, man, I don't even cry in real life. This is weird. But she told me about her own father who passed away and she had a very similar relationship. 
And she's like, she thinks like I do about it, about the toxicity. And that's why that she said, you're going to regret it forever. If you don't say all the stuff you wanted to say and at least get some sense of closure, because once they're gone, they're gone and you can't get that back. And it really resonated with me and hit me hard. I was like, you're right. I think I do need to maybe put my ego aside. And there's a few things I wanted to say to her and let's, let's do it. And so I, I did it. What does that mean? Did you tell her, what did you get to tell her? And did did she even stay on the phone long enough? It was a 45 minute phone call. Okay. It was, uh, it was a long talk. This, yeah, this happened just earlier this week. So it's still pretty fresh, but I try to just keep it as light as possible. Because again, I know you can't really rationalize with someone who's who's like that. Right. But then she, what became herself again? She's like, "Oh, Josh, I had a dream, and wow. your eye was healed. Is your eye healed?" I'm like, "Oh boy, here we go." Wow. So I had that moment in my mind. I'm like, "Do I just take the high road here and just say what she wants to hear and be like, no, not yet, but still believing." Uh, or do I be real? When I chose to be real, I said, you know what, mom, I'm not trying to be confrontational with you here, but my eye is not healed. And here's why. And then I told her, which I'd never confronted her on before in my life. It's like, I went to eye doctors and I know about the patch and I know that if I would have worn it, I would have perfect vision right now. I was like, well, who told you this? That's a lie. And you think I would do that? I'm like, that's not what just one optometrist told me before. And yeah, I do. Because I know you and I tried to, because I knew she was going to get defensive and combative and feel attacked. I know how she is when she gets that way. I said, look, you are a faith healer. You wanted a miracle for me. And so I think that's why I'm like, I at least just want to know why. Like, why did you do it or think that was the best way? And she was speechless and she couldn't answer me and just wanted to change the subject. And she said, well, this is all just confirmation that when the miracle comes, it's going to be even bigger and you just need to call me back when it does and you'll be thanking me. Mm. Okay. Okay, mom, <laughs> wow. whatever you say. And then, yeah, I mean, we, we got into it. I talked about a lot of the stuff I talked about on this podcast and just really wanted her because she can, I know she's smart, but she's mentally ill. Like, I mean, it's undiagnosed paranoid schizophrenia is what, anyone I've talked to feels and other people I know who are psychologists and stuff. And she, uh, she just believes it all. And I I tried to rationalize with her, which I knew might've been a mistake, but I said, mom, do you think it's normal to leave in the middle of the night? Cause you think there's a bomb in our house or that we have assassins coming after us or taking out life insurance policies on my dad when you're divorced, cause he's going to die and I'm going to die too. And she then just proceeded to defend herself like, oh, well, I was a younger Christian and everyone makes mistakes. And the bomb was actually a spiritual bomb. And I I just didn't know that at the time. We all make mistakes, Josh. You want me to list all your mistakes? Because I can do that all day. I'm like, no, I don't. And I'm not trying to do that here. You just wanted me to be honest with you. And you you could tell something was bothering me. And so I, I was being real with you. I'm not trying to be combative. I'm, I'm trying to help you see the truth and you see the light for yourself. And then uh, it felt good and it felt cathartic, but 
my brother and I are, we're not kids anymore. So we can out rationalize her. And so, I mean, I just had to say that, you know, the difference is I'm like, sure. You could list some mistakes I made as a kid. I'm like, the difference is we were kids and you were the adult and you were supposed to be one and you weren't. And I'm sorry, but it's not okay. It's like, I thought you called because you were wanting to extend an olive branch and be forgiving and all this stuff. I'm like, I'm trying. But I'm like, also, it's really hard to forgive somebody that's never once said sorry mm-hmm. and doesn't think they have to be anything sorry for. But I'm like, I'm trying. It's like, you hate me. I'm like, I, I don't hate you. I know you meant your version of what the best was, but it wasn't real. <laughs> and... Yeah. Do you think that was the last time you spoke to her? It was Monday. So yeah, that was that was the last no, time. No, but I mean, do you think that was the last time? Oh, honestly, I kind of do. Um, I mean, I know that's kind of a sadder... No, man, that's why I'm asking the question. You know, it sounds yeah. like that was the last time. Yeah. Yeah, especially when she got into talking disparagingly about my dad and twisting the narrative and trying to say that he never tried to see me for a year and that he abandoned us and all this and that he never once sent a paycheck or did anything. Uh, I said, mom, I was there. I remember the whole story. I remember everything he told me. I know his side of it and I know the rest of it because I witnessed it all with my own eyes. So that's just not true. And I don't know how to tell you that, but I said, I, I don't hate you. I, still have love for you as hard as that is but i just had to be honest with you and tell you where i'm coming from and just speak my mind about all this because we've never done it before and she then just proceeded to say that well you'll come to your senses and call me when you can see and the devil comes to kill steal and destroy and the way you're coming at me and attacking me, that's how the devil works. And he only throws arrows. He doesn't ever allow you to reflect back at yourself. And that's how you want to be. That's how you're going to be. Like, okay, mom, have a good, have a good day. <laughs> wow, Josh. There was some closure in it, though. There really was. Because at least now I know. And I, I was curious her perspective. Or maybe she's come to some sort of enlightenment in her later years. But... You know, it's, it's unfortunate she hasn't. And it's sad because my brother just had a baby. She didn't even know she had a grandchild. Wow. And just the way she's alienated herself from her entire family and thinking that she's still living in this movie where she's the underdog hero and everyone else is against her. It's, it's really sad. And I, I, wish, uh, I wish her the best. And I hope she, you know, one day gets the help she needs. But she's... Uh, She's not there yet. I've, I've thought about it for a long time. I'm like, man, this really is like, it's like a goddamn movie. Like I, to tell this story, like from the perspective of a child who thinks they're living in an action movie. And it's really just like a beautiful mind where it's all just someone's delusions would be so not something people have seen before. But also I'm like, if I do this, I am going to be sued until the day I die. Wow. And I don't know if it's worth it. Wow. Yeah. It's really powerful, man. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, 
you said that you had to throw the baby out with the bathwater with God, right? And you said that your father has still maintained his faith, certainly a version of faith that you have so much more affection for, clearly. Correct. It also feels like you're intimating that you've been able to kind of move back towards faith in the version of maybe your father's faith or just in a, a different kind of sense of faith. And I was wondering if you wanted to say anything about that as a kind of closing to this story. No, I'm glad you asked. I, um, for the longest time, I did not. And I, like I said, I wanted nothing to do with it just because I got so burned by it all Sure. that I went in a completely opposite direction. But it took me years, but there were things from my youth and from my faith that for me, I believe were real, like the peace of God or listening to your gut or your conscience or just feeling that unexplainable light and love that I feel can only be described as God. But because I was just so unsure of what was even true or real anymore, I just kind of abandoned it all for the longest time. But it took me years to be open-minded and I can't even isolate it down to one moment, but I wanted a different version of it because I, I believe now there's there's more than one way to God, especially moving to LA and finally for the first time meeting people who were Buddhists or atheists or just different creeds, beliefs, everything. It made me well-rounded and realize, okay, if there is a God, there's probably more than one way to him. And as long as you're just doing your best not to be a shitty person and trying to seek love and light and just being good, that that's got to be what it is, like the hellfire and brimstone and do this right combination of things or you're going to hell forever. Like that doesn't resonate with the God I know or even the one that's in the New Testament if you want to get all Bible about it. Sure. But I have, I mean, I have a lot of problems with it. There's just a lot of discrimination and hatred and ugliness and bitterness. And you see how divided our country is. So to even use the word Christian is a scary word for me just because uh, I don't think like a lot of them. Like, I mean, I still drink, you know, I'm not waiting for marriage anymore. I swear. Oh, no. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't think it has to be this dogmatic thing. Like I, I found faith and there's a church I started going to called Mosaic. And it was, uh, I know it's kind of a big, a lot of people see it as like, oh, this big Hollywood thing or uh, a scene. But I found for me, like a lot of truth there and the way they accept everybody and there's no judgment. And I just saw a lot of light and love there. And it was just something that was, really missing from the uh, extremism part of it all. But but no, I, I have found my faith again. And it's just a very different version than, than the one I was raised with. Josh, you were not lying, man. This story was epic. I warned you. Truly, I... It is a privilege. I say this stuff. People may think that it's just like a word I chose. I say today I have the privilege of welcoming Joshua Martinez to the show. It is a privilege, man. I mean, this is something that I find to be so meaningful. And I'm not even entirely sure sometimes. I'm still learning how to put it into words exactly how much it means to me. But I know that what I get to experience when I 
hear someone like you tell a story so openly and generously about what you're, what happened to you, about where you're at today. I know it's meaningful, not only to me, but it's meaningful to the, to the people that listen. And so I just wanted to say thanks. It was a pleasure. It really was. It was great talking to you. And I think there is something to be said about sharing stories, even if they're difficult, because other people have, everyone has their own story and everybody has different things they've been through and experienced and even trauma or things they don't talk about. And knowing there's other people out there who've been through similar things and that they've survived it, it, it can help people. And so there's even like two people who they take away something. That's, that's great. And that means a lot. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, man. Well, it was a real pleasure. All right. And thank you all for listening. I don't want to ever, I don't ever want someone to pity me. I think it's that because I don't pity myself. I don't feel sorry for myself. Everything that happened made me who I am. And I'm grateful for that. And the fact that it didn't break me and that I, I have done some pretty cool shit in my life. Like it feels awesome. Like I've met people I never thought I would meet. I've done things I never thought I would do. I've been all over the world. And I'm really grateful that I just somehow escaped out of this, uh, this bubble.